Welcome back to the Ride Balance Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Ride Clean. Ride Clean is an ultra premium polish and sealer that works on your car or motorcycle. It's very easy to use. You simply shake, spray, and wipe, and you'll get a polished mirror-like finish once you're done. You can use it on any surface on your vehicle and get outstanding results. Yes, it works on matte. Yes, it's super water repellent, especially if you spray it on uh, your windshield of your vehicle. Um, it also works as a degreaser for your rims and so much more. Check them out at rideclean.co. Use promo code RBPODCAST for 15% off, and they're doing free shipping right now. So that's 15% off plus free shipping at rideclean.co, promo code RB podcast. My guest today is a true badass. Uh, you know him as on Instagram as Rob One Wheel Revolution. He pops wheelies everywhere he goes, every bike he gets on. Uh, you've probably seen him a few times with one foot on the seat, one foot on the fairing, and just riding, standing up like a true badass because he is. Uh, he's been posting since 2011, 2012 on Instagram. Uh, he's been doing so much more. You're really going to enjoy this episode. We dive deep into the performance, um, the gear he uses, how he got into it, uh, and recommendations if anybody ever wants to do stunts. These are the pro tips on how to get into that. And we talk about a lot of safety gear as well as sponsors. Get ready for an exciting episode with Rob Carpenter, One Wheel Revolution. Here we go. Hey, Rob, finally, I got you on. It's been a yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a wild time lately, but it's good to finally uh, get a chance to sit down and chat with you. Absolutely. What's been going on, man? You're you're, you're pretty. Active. Oh man, just um, yeah, staying busy. Not a lot of shows and stuff like that, but we've uh, we've definitely been staying busy with the uh, media, lots of marketing stuff. I mean, we do all of our stuff on social media, but we also uh, try to do whether it's photos, video projects, and different stuff for uh, various companies in the motorcycle industry. So. Um, luckily we've had a lot of that sort of, uh, work to fall back on and, and, and also just a lot of time to really perfect things, uh, that, that we're usually too busy in the midst of, of motorcycle and show season to get to. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that it's 2020 and we're dealing with this now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's interesting. Like you say, when it kind of all started at the beginning of the year and yeah, I remember kind of sitting all the way back there thinking like, all right, you know, three, four months, it's all going to blow over. We'll be back to life as usual. And yeah, like you say, here we are uh, almost, you know, whatever, seven, eight months later. And, uh, it doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed. <laughs> uh, it looks like it's gotten worse in some senses. Yeah, yeah, in some places, yeah, we've had we've had several different uh, sort of motorcycle events or rallies or different things, you know, that uh, you know either got canceled or postponed, and and they really were were under the impression that you know, hey, you know, give it a few months, we're going to get things back together, and uh, we'll we'll get rolling at a later date. And uh, sadly, uh, you know, a lot of those places, like you say, have have progressively actually gotten worse and. Have, have now had to just kind of postpone everything till next year. Uh, just for the, the sake of the listeners, where, where are you calling from? 
Um, so I'm actually calling uh, from Billings, Montana. So uh, that's that's where I was born and raised out of, and uh, I travel all over the country, but uh, still still come back to Montana and the Billings area and call it home. That's that's awesome. I saw on your Instagram you've been posting since 2012, 2013. Yeah, yeah, we kind of, uh, you know, I started started doing a lot of uh, sort of uh, media and writing stuff, um, which probably kind of picked up in 2010 or 2011. And a lot of the original stuff was uh, more focused on just creating, uh, you know, magazine ads and pictures and photos that different companies could use. And uh, then I got uh, kind of pushed by several friends that said, hey, you know, you need to need to get on this Instagram thing and then you need to be more active on Facebook and stuff like that. So it was kind of like I already had the uh, media capture and creation part uh, kind of kind of already going at that time. So it was real easy to kind of move into the social media platforms and be able to uh, share a lot of the stuff that, that we do. Yeah, no, you you could tell, you could tell that you've been consistent on it. You could tell even from the very beginning, you know, how skillful and that you had a focal point and you've been consistent throughout the years. I was just going through your Instagram and I was just, you know, every post you have is just mind blowing. And then I kept going and kept going. I got to 2012 or 2013. I'm like, fuck, this guy's been doing this forever. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's you know, there's been a lot of uh, progression of it, you know, in the beginning when, um, the Harley riding and the, the, the Harley tricks and stunt riding and stuff was, was so new. And so in the beginning, you know, you could really, you know, I could, you know, for lack of a better word, do a lot of very sort of basic stuff and simple stuff. And I didn't, uh, the media was still good and still what not, it was still great media, but it just, uh, it's definitely as the time has gone on has, uh, pushed me to, to get more and more creative, um, go, go ride in more daring places and stuff like that. And as well as, uh, pushing the, the, what the equipment that we're using to capture it with, whether it be, uh, cameras, drones, GoPros, um, and all that type of stuff. And, so now kind of at the level that it's at, it's, uh, it's, you know, going a lot of wild places, a lot of really sketchy riding conditions, because a lot of times that's where you get uh, this really unique medias and places that, that a lot of people generally wouldn't go and try to do these tricks and, uh, and trying to push the camera equipment and, and also push the people that are helping me to, uh, to be able to, to hone their skills in or fine tune what they're doing to, make each shot, you know, a little bit better or, you know, a little bit more, uh, inspiring if you will. Yeah, no, that the, your process, it looks like it definitely takes a lot of time and effort and organization and collaboration of multiple people. Um, I mean, you're, you're like I said, your, your content is superb, uh, you, for the sake of the listeners, how would, how would you introduce yourself? Oh, uh, so that's, generally uh, I'm Rob Carpenter of one wheel revolution. So one wheel revolution is it's kind of the name I go under, but it also represents um, anytime we go and do a team show um, or something like that, it's under the name uh, One Wheel Revolution. Um, but uh, a lot of times, a lot of people just know me as Rob One Wheel or Rob One Wheel Revolution. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, as far as my presence, but I'm not too bent on being a superstar. A lot of people say, oh, you need to get more shots with your helmet off. And I always kind of chuckle and I'm like, nah, the 
the motorcycle guy with the helmet on that's that's the real me <laughs> absolutely it's like batman with the mask you know you you want to be yeah yeah exactly you exactly. want to be protected and then uh, would you consider how would you uh introduce your occupation are you a professional stunt man um, yeah yeah you know it's it's it is tough it's uh you know a lot of it is definitely the professional stunting and stuff like that but um I can honestly say that the stunt riding is probably only 50% of what's gotten me to kind of where I am in my career um, because a lot of it is about sort of, again, the detailed sort of media curation, um, understanding camera equipment, how everything works, understanding staging shots, um, scouting locations, um, once again, a lot of the places that we shoot are, are can, can have certain risks, whether it's, you know, poor riding conditions, whether it's the, you know, legality or the permission-based thing of whether or not we should, should really uh, have permission to shoot there, per se. So a lot of it is uh, just being able to deliver quality content that doesn't uh, require a lot of these companies to have to invest in all the stuff that they would to normally get that one single shot. You know, normally they're looking at, okay, now I got to, I got to send a camera crew out. I'm going to have to pay them for travel and all that stuff, cover their travel, hotels, food, lodging. I've got to send them with camera equipment. I've got to have a permit for the shoot spot. I've got to have insurance to cover the team and the crew. And so there's all that stuff that can, that can get sort of wrapped up into one shot. And, um, we're able to do that and, and execute it, uh, much, uh, more easily, much cheaper. And, um, and a lot of times, like I say, I'm unfamiliar with how to kind of get in and get shots and get out and not, you know, whether it's not bother people or not have somebody concerned. Um, so a lot of it is being able to sort of do that stuff, not bother and disturb anybody and, and get out of there and, and job well done and, and nobody was harmed and nobody was put in danger and, and the company, you know, gets that shot that they need for the, the marketing ad or the online ad or whatever it might be. That, that, that's a great way of putting it. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that because all I see is the final result. All I see is the nice picture. All I see is a nice willy, the burning out, but I haven't even, I mean, it did cross my mind a little bit of what it takes for that, but it looks so yeah. flawless and so professional that it, you, all you focus on is you on the bike doing those stunts. Yeah, ex exactly. And, and that's, you know, that's definitely a lot of it is just trying to, you know, maintain the focus, whether it's the stunt, whether it's the product that we're trying to capture in the photo and um to, to get really good clear media but you know a lot of times like you say it's the stuff that, that people don't see the scouting ahead of time um many times i have multiple people on opposite ends of wherever we're shooting with walkie talkies you know they're looking out for cars they're looking out for anything like that that we need to uh, be aware of and you know and that's also why in a lot of my media you you never see vehicles you never see people you know you never see you know, for lack of a better word, any innocent bystanders in danger because um, we, we, we go to great lengths to, to make sure that what we're capturing, that if anybody's in harm's way, it's me and, and only me and uh, that the camera crew and, and anybody else that could be in the vicinity, uh, you know, we're making uh, appropriate uh, changes to what we're doing to uh, keep everybody safe and, and keep everybody in, in good standing.
That that's amazing. That's that's amazing that you go that far into detail. That's awesomeness. Um, how did you get into stunts? Um, so I actually got into stunt riding. Um, so yeah, I got into stunt riding. I had, I had built a bike. I wanted to get into road racing, and I thought, okay, this is uh, this is going to be a good ticket for me. And uh, you know, I like speed. I like the adrenaline rush and all of that stuff. Um, back about two thousand four, two thousand five, um, built a uh, a six hundred bike, and thought I wanted to get into road racing. Um, you know, kind of got it set up with with every part you could imaginably sort of buy and bolt to it um, without getting into serious motor work and stuff like that. And I kind of knew that I was going to, you know, start in some sort of amateur leagues and, and, you know, really try to slowly work my way up and, and, uh, get my feet wet. So I, uh, went down and, um, you know, attempted, uh, to go and, and do sort of an amateur race. There was a big race going on at uh, Pikes Peak Raceway. And so I went down there with this bike and, uh, was going to kind of do this. They had the, the little amateur session kind of that was uh, built around the race to kind of get younger people and new people involved and, you know, much slower speeds and all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, just so happened that the night before the race, um, somebody stole the uh, bike uh, from the hotel parking lot. Your bike? Um, so woke up the next day and uh, found out that I uh, didn't have a motorcycle anymore. Um, the bike was going to be a race bike and stuff, so I had uh, had it, you know, fully paid off and everything because I obviously intended to probably have a little learning curve here and there and probably tumble it down the side of the racetrack a couple times. So right. I wanted to have a bike that, that didn't need to be insured and all of that sort of stuff and wasn't really set up for the road, but uh, it got stolen. So I went home. Um, Did you have insurance? For what's that? Did you have insurance? Um, so I didn't, I, I oh. kind of, I, you know, I built the bike with the intention of racing it and, and that's crashing it. it very hard many times. And, uh, so I kind of, uh, wasn't planning on, uh, riding it on the street or, or ever being able to really turn back and turn in an insurance claim, um, right. you know, cause it was probably going to be my fault on a racetrack, uh, for why it was in little bitty pieces. Yeah. That makes so, sense. uh, yeah, it got stolen. Yeah, yeah, it got stolen, went home, sort of sulked for about uh, five, six months. I did buy another motorcycle um, and didn't even touch it for about two or three months. Finally, my friends drug me out of the house and they're like, dude, you got to ride that bike. You can't just let it sit there any longer. And if you don't ride it, one of us is. And so uh, they kind of got me back out. Um, I was, was, you know, I always liked the adrenaline rush, but obviously I was a little bit uh, jaded, um, in in the mindset of racing and stuff like that after what had happened um so i kind of just had a who cares attitude and was like nope i'm gonna ride wheelies on this thing and so i started riding wheelies on that bike and uh pushing it more and more and more and uh one thing led to another you know pushed my wheelies to the point i could on the street then started doing it sort of in parking lots and uh working more on the the detailed trick riding and uh you know that kind of just slowly carried into some some local opportunities to do little shows and stuff like that and uh finally got uh, noticed by a, another stunt team that needed a fill-in guy and they were doing a big motorcycle rally in uh in Oklahoma went down there rode for them another team that saw me ride with them 
needed another fill-in guy. And so for kind of about a year, I kind of played this fill-in guy, just filling in shows for these other teams. And uh, eventually kind of felt like I, I had a passion and kind of knew where I wanted to take it. And uh, that's kind of where uh, the one-wheel uh, Revolution V-Twin stuff starts. And, and how long were you riding before you got your first bike that got you there? Um, so I would say, so I started riding, um, about back in, oh, probably right about 2002, um, was kind of when I started riding. I started riding, uh, sport quads. I had a buddy who had a dirt bike, rode some dirt bikes and different stuff and kind of just dabbled in a little bit of everything in the beginning. And, um, you know, kind of after a while, I didn't, I felt like jumping wasn't my thing. I didn't really want to jump a lot. So I kind of, uh, gravitated more towards the street bike aspect um and then i i ended up uh riding for about uh i'd say roughly about three and a half years or so of just uh riding sort of canyon carving a lot of stuff like that before i really started to uh you know get interested in the wheelies and the stunts and the tricks and start to um spend most of my time focusing on that that's crazy how many bikes do you have now um, so right now, um, with the, I've got one that's sitting up in Canada waiting to come back, uh, to the U S but, uh, what's it doing in those, Canada? Uh, uh, so I took it up there literally the week before the virus stuff shut the border down. And at that time we kind of didn't, you know, it was going on over in Europe a lot and that sort of stuff. But, uh, so there was a company up in Canada, uh, MJK performance, and they do a lot of really cool trick uh, billet parts and their big focus is performance baggers so um my bike i bought a new street glide um and i thought okay like i'll just take it up here let it hang out up here for a few months he can design some parts for it and and off of it and whatnot to, to sell to other consumers as well and uh you know, then the the COVID stuff sort of flared up and made its way across the Atlantic Ocean and really started to hit the U.S. And at that point, then the border got shut down. And so my poor bike has uh, been up in Canada since uh, February. So it's uh, it's kind of a bummer when you get this brand new Super. bike that you plan on building and riding all summer. And it's uh, it's stuck in its own quarantine. <laughs> That's it. That's terrible. That's terrible. And then the street yeah, glide so you have now? The one that you do all the stuff. Yeah, on? yeah. So then I have an older, yeah, I have that older 2004 Street Glide, um, and it was badass. that's one. That, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a super, super cool bike. Um, we built it back in 2014, so we kind of built it back really before anybody else. There, I think there was maybe one or two other guys that had kind of dabbled a little bit with with wheeling baggers, but it wasn't really. Uh, much of a thing and the funny thing is is we finished that 04 and uh started riding it and they're just they're what people just kind of didn't know what to think of it they thought oh that's cool but you know people were even scared to have me bring it to stunt shows and stuff because they were just like man that's that's such a big bike i don't know i don't know if that's a good <laughs> thing so yeah, uh, somebody's gonna but, get hurt uh, it's, yeah yeah exactly so but uh obviously uh yeah here we are now uh 
about six years later and uh you know the the bagger wheelie scene or stunting baggers um and all that type of stuff is is really uh taken off and and thriving out there and in, in the fringe community of of motorcycle stunts yeah it, it's it's crazy uh I, I saw it once in 2000 i want to say 2008 i was going uh from mm-hmm. la to um reno street vibrations and at one of the stops by Tahoe, I saw this guy at that time, which was a big deal. He had a 117 chain drive, you know, I believe it was a, I want to say it was a road glide. And, you know, he, yeah. he popped the wheelie. He did it, you know, at 12 o'clock position and was riding. And I was blown away. I've never seen such a thing. I was like, this is fucking insane. <laughs> and after that, I never saw it again, you know, until, you know, the very recent, what, last five, eight years. Now you start seeing, you know, now it's everywhere. You know, now yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I got a bagger that I'm like starting to get prepped up. Um, and I was going to ask for a stunting advice, but you kind of, I already picked your brain a little bit. I think my problem, why I never got into it, because I got friends who are like, how come you're not doing willies yet? And I just realized, because I'm always buying a nice bike and, and I don't, I don't want to <laughs> do anything on a nice bike. I don't want to take the chance. It's too expensive. So I, I guess the first step would be is buy an affordable bike. Yep. Yeah, yeah, an affordable bike and and even something too. I mean, I always tell people it's like, um, you know, you're going to crash, you're going to crash unexpectedly here and there and you're not always going to, especially in the beginning, have control over how you're falling, how the bike's falling and a lot of those uh details that really matter as far as uh, a crash you walk away from or a crash that that ends up hurting you or or severely hurting your bike and uh so yeah, an older bike, um, something smaller. Uh, you know, I always encourage people to get the basics down. It doesn't mean that uh, once you get down wheelies, you gotta, you know, wheelie a dirt bike forever and ever, or you know, a little pit bike or just whatever it is. But I always encourage people to kind of get a feel for the basics. Um, there's a ton of stuff that transfers over um, from from riding one to the other, um, and spending time on a manageable bike that won't seriously hurt you and that you can affordably keep running and and fix really makes a big difference in the beginning and and it seems like some of the people that jump right to the big bike and they've they got to have the bagger they've never really done wheelies on much of anything else but I'm, i want to just go right to the bagger you know those are the people that you know get into it for a couple of months they have a bad crash either hurt themselves or do so much you know financial damage to their bike that then you know they're they're out of it and they can't keep practicing for another another few months so um i always encourage people to to get it down on the small bikes i know if i had jumped right to the big bikes uh i probably wouldn't have made it this far because i would have uh gone broke a long time ago (laughs) trying to keep bikes in one piece and 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 skipping all the uh, steps yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. And and you're okay, so you have a, a brand new street glide. You have a what is it, twenty twenty? Or twenty nineteen? Yeah, so it's actually a twenty it's a twenty nineteen, yeah, twenty nineteen street glide. And so that one um I finally uh hired a specialty transportation company. So that one will be coming back to the States here in the next month, month and a half or so. So I'll finally get to work on that. Um can't wait till it's done. Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a wild machine and it should just be so smooth and crisp um, 
the handling is is really such a big part of that big bite. So okay, let, 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 let's pick your brain on that. So let, okay, so um, and then we'll continue through the list of your bikes. Yeah, but right now, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, let's finish the list of your bikes. So you have the 2019. Yeah, yeah. You have a 2004 Street Glide. What else? Four. Yep. So we got a 2004 Street Glide that kind of covers um, the big touring bikes. Um, then, uh, next in line, we've got a, uh, we've got a 2018, um, M8 equipped fat Bob. Um, that bike is, it's, it's given me some challenges. I crashed it really bad at one point. I blew the motor up in it at one point. Um, so I've done a couple of things to it that have taken it out of commission, um, from regular use, but it's, it's finally back and going well. That's the, um, that's the M8 motor, right? The 114? Yep. 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 So that's the M8 motor, uh, big white and black bike, uh, beautiful handles, incredible. Um, the M8 motor definitely brings its, its own challenges, uh, as far as setup. Um, but it's been nice to get through a lot of those challenges because once that new bagger, comes back across the border and we have to get to work on it. There's a lot of stuff now that we've already troubleshooted and, and come up with solutions for um, to be able to set it up uh, much quicker and with much, much less headaches than, than the fat bob. So, um, so yeah, so those will kind of be the two uh, new motors. Obviously that 04 just has a twin cam in it. Um, then we've got a 2016 FX DLS. Um, this is primarily of, been I got my a lot cruising. of fans, <laughs> a lot of fans. Oh of yeah, yeah, it it is. It, it, I mean, they are. They're such amazing bikes, and if you you know of of the twin can style motor and just all that stuff, it's just uh, you know it's got its downfalls, the rubber mounting and just all that sort of stuff. But for a muscle car, I mean, it's like it, when I look at the the black and gold of it, like it just you know screams to me or just you know flashes images of uh you know a black and gold pontiac firebird and you yeah. know burning rubber and taking off you know so it's uh it kind of just has that real muscle car feel in in the way that it looks and the way that it handles and and anytime anybody's you know a fan of it i can't i can't uh ever ever tell them any different because it is just such a beautiful bike and once you ride one and feel one it's hard to just not fall in love with them even though they do have a few shortcomings so um but so that's been mainly my cruiser bike um but it's been commissioned kind of last fall and this year um to doing more aggressive riding projects um for some media where companies specifically wanted that bike um, so it's, uh, kind of got taken out of just being a cruiser. Um, we've added more performance parts and more stuff. Um, we've tried to keep it tame. We're trying not to set it up as a full on stunt bike, you know, trying to keep it more like a moderate everyday Dyna that somebody would ride, but capable of doing, um, aggressive what, 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 stuff what, like that. What's the difference between the, what, what, where's the split between casual riding and full stunt bike for an FX DLS? Oh, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. And I mean, a lot of people might have different takes on what they consider, you know, some guys is all, oh, you know, shocks and a belt is, is the cutoff. Some people it's shocks and a chain and, you know, some stage one performance parts and, and whatnot. I think for me, it's really, um, you know, some of my really technical stunt bikes, you can walk up to them and, there's very noticeable differences. You know, you might see a handbrake, um, you might see a tank seat, 
You might see a custom sort of step bar in the back. There might be a scrape plate on the back of it um, to create sparks when you scrape it. Um, and some, some stuff like that, um, as well as some additional crash protection. So kind of when you walk up to some of my real um, dedicated stunt bikes, you really, you notice things that are very much out of place that you wouldn't see on a normal bike. Um, I think for me, for the Dyna is, is, you know, I do have some sprockets and gearing. I've got a, a, a seat that's um, slightly modified to make stunt riding and riding wheelies easier. Um, but aside from that, I, you really don't have a lot of that equipment. Um, if I took that Dyna and parked it in a crowd of other Dynas, you wouldn't, you know, you, and said, Hey, which one's the stunt bike real quick? You know, you wouldn't be able to pick, pick that one out of a crowd. It would just blend in and look like every other Dyna that somebody had cruised, um, to, to the rally at. So, um, so kind of, like I say, the other bikes, you know, whether it's any of that crash protection seat, special brakes, stuff like that, there's definitely lots of stuff that the, the average guy would, would say, okay, that's, that's something unusual. Yeah. That's already far enough, but yeah, but for you, that's why I wanted to see your, your input on that. What about motor work? <laughs> what do you do to that FXDLS? Um, so, you know, a lot of people always ask and they assume, um, as they have from the get go that, that we do a lot of motor work and that a lot of motor work is necessary. Um, for, for everything I do, um, less is more, um, in terms of the stunt riding, um, you, you build up less heat, you've got lower compression, um, you've got, uh, you know, more, uh, forgiving sort of, uh, fuel parameters and it could be fuel, it could be timing, it could be all sorts of different stuff. But, um, you know, I find that those motors, um, that are kept in more of a, a OEM form, um, you know, for, for, for lack of a better word, they've got really sloppy tolerances and yeah. those sloppy tolerances really come into play. Um, when we superheat these motors doing these stunts and, um, you know, the, that's the, the biggest downfall of the air cooled V twin is just that, you know, without airflow, it, uh, it really struggles to cool itself. So for all of our motors, we want everything to be really loose. We want it to, uh, to, to not be, um, tight, um, from the get go. So that as all the parts swell up from the extreme heat, everything can still move freely and uh, not cause excessive wear. Um, the bikes that we have done specialty motors in, generally we, we end up regretting it at some point. It, you know, the heat builds up, the parts swell up. Um, you know, we just have a lot more wear in those motors. So um, we are experimenting right now with some 124 kits, um, both in the Fat Bob as well as the, uh, as the new Street Glide. Um, so we'll have some 124 kits in those. Um, we've really tamed them down. We'll have, we'll have, uh, more displacement, um, in terms of CCs, but we're, we're also trying to keep, uh, the cam very mild and, and trying to really minimize the heat, um, that gets trapped in the motor and those inmates are, you know, they're more prone to trapping that heat in there, um, a little bit than, than some of the older motors. So. Yeah, they they just released a new uh, a new engine kit too. I think last month. I think uh, it's one thirty 130 or one thirty three. 
Did you see that? From uh, so that yeah, it's a one thirty one thirty one. Um, yeah, one thirty one, and I think it's like a stage stage four is what they're branding it as. And uh, yeah, I mean, great. I'm sure it's super powerful. I'm sure it makes incredibly uh, great. Uh, you know, uh, horsepower, torque, as far performance, as the torque and the horsepower exactly. But uh, I feel like uh, I feel like it's probably one of those motors once again that you're not gonna want to sit from stoplight to stoplight with no airflow because that 131 is gonna build up a lot of heat much faster. Yeah, no, and even 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 with the 114, you want, when I ride my streak light, it's it's hot. It's it's definitely the hottest motor I've had. In, you know, between my legs, it's. It's too much at times, and LA doesn't even get that hot like Palm Springs or Arizona or Vegas. But I, it gets boiling hot. I finally got the wind deflectors that you know push air away. The heat deflectors that push air away from you from you, and it kind of gets air into that back cylinder. But and it helped, but you know it's still hot. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think the big thing is, is yeah, you still need a a bunch of air moving over the motor, regardless of how hot the ambient air temperature is and uh obviously for especially for a lot of the stuff we do um and you know probably 90 percent of the situations uh there's almost no airflow whether it's a stunt show or whether we're just you know shooting media stuff and sitting in one spot going back and forth through a through a certain maneuver yeah okay so then that's bike number three yeah yeah so, or yeah, one, two, three. So that's four. Um, the Fat Bob, the Dyna, and the Two Street Glide. That's right. That's right. Um, yep. Um, so then, uh, let's see here. Next, sort of new or up there with the newer bikes. Um, I do have a 2019 uh, Indian FTR. Um, super fun bike to ride. Um, it's also been the hardest bike I've ever tried to set up um, of all my bikes. Um, it's Why got is a that? ton of yeah it's got a it's, it, you know it makes amazing power it handles better i mean if i if i had to tell someone the honest truth it makes more power than any of my harleys off the showroom floor wow. it 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 handles better than any of my harleys off the showroom floor but as far as making modifications to it and customizing it it has been one of the uh, hardest bikes to deal with um far as uh, there's a lot of electronics you know there's it's got a built-in gyroscope it's got uh, everything under the sun on it is all electronically controlled there's almost nothing that that has any sort of uh, physical input or physical output um, so it's just been a, a super big challenge but I've had a lot of help um, from Ryan Randall um, out at uh, he works at Indian uh, motorcycle in uh, Charlotte North Carolina and he's a, an amazing sort of guru when it comes to tuning um, some of these bikes and, and figuring out how to manipulate them. And that's a lot of it is a lot of what he does is so much beyond just tuning a motorcycle. He really gets in there and more or less tricks the motorcycle into doing things that you normally couldn't push with the parameters that you're able to adjust. So um, like you say, he's done an incredible job, um, but we're, we're getting there. We still have to uh, we have to split the motor apart to do a modified oil pickup, which is something I've never had to do to any of my Harleys before. They all had oil pans or oil tanks, whereas uh, the Indian, the oil pan or or sump, whatever is is built into the middle of the motor. So, anyways, uh, 
hopefully we'll be doing a lot more sort of fun riding with that bike into the future. But for right now, I'm trying to ride it uh, seldom and uh, not melt the crank in it from riding wheelies and running it dry. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, after that, we've got uh, I've got a series of uh, sportsters and roadsters. Um, I've got a uh, got are, my two thousand favorites, right? Um, I, I think they're my favorites just because they're so easy to ride. You can take them anywhere. Um, you can literally do just about anything. I mean, if I had someone, you know, showed me a giant jump ramp and said, all right, one of your bikes has to survive, you know, making this jump, that Sportster would, would without a doubt be it. It's just a, it's a robust machine, you know, it's not advanced by any way shape or form whether it's the handling or uh, the power the motor the electronics the gadgets you know there's just none of that stuff really on those bikes so they're just they're they're very dependable very easy to set up and uh, can very quickly go from being a fun on-road bike to a fun off-road bike or you know we ride them on the ice in the winter um you know we have paddle tires on I can't have paddle tires on one of them so we can go take it up sand dunes. And so there's kind of, uh, you know, like I say, there's just almost nothing you can't do with those bikes. So I like to have several of them at my disposal to, to kind of have different purposes for them. So, um, on that note, I've got a 2020, uh, 1200 roadster that we are currently setting up. Um, it's going to probably become more of the regular stunt bike because that's the bike that gets used the, the hardest, um, and, and gets pushed the hardest at shows and stuff like that. So it's about a 2020 that's going to become my stunt bike. The current 2016, which is my red and black roadster, that one will get, uh, rebuilt into, uh, a street tracker. So it's going to be kind of a performance, uh, oriented um parley something kind of along the lines of of what the ftr is for a performance handling machine um so we'll be having a lot of fun with that um i also have a 2013 parley roadster um that uh was one of my previous stunt bikes um we've completely rebuilt it put a 1250 motor in it and all sorts of stuff it's all set up for the stunt riding i don't think i'll probably ever ride it again so it's probably uh, a bike that I'll sell very soon or auction off and uh, make room for another bike. That's right. Um, but then, then last but not least is my uh, my black and silver um, 2010 um, iron. Uh, it now has a Roadster front end on it, so a lot of people see it and think it's a Roadster, but it's actually a, uh, an old 2010. Um, that was my very first Harley that I ever bought. Um, it was my original stunt bike after that, it got turned into kind of an off-road bike, did a, did a round for that. After that, it got turned into an off-road tracker and, uh, now it's kind of finally been rebuilt probably for the last time into the black and silver tracker, um, that it is. And, uh, it's got, you know, some really cool parts on it. The chassis, uh, design corporation swing arm on it with a one inch extension. And that helps us run, uh, paddle tire or big knobby tires on it and not have clearance issues so um that bike kind of will really go just about anywhere you point it what what percentage of of modifications between all your bikes that you've owned do you do you actually change it from the stock 
So when you get a stock um, bite, what percentage? Like 20%, 30%? Yeah, um, I would honestly probably say, I'd say I'm probably somewhere around that 35%. You know, it's like generally frames, um, motors internally um, are all generally left kind of stock. But when it comes to any of the extra parts um, beyond that, you know, we keep the stock wheels generally, but, uh, you know, and, and obviously tins and some body panels. But after that, you know, handlebars, <laughs> brakes, tires, foot pegs, shock, seat, um, you know, intake, exhaust, sprockets and chains obviously go on instead of the, the belts. Um, and uh, brake lines, uh, the ECMs are replaced with Thundermax ECMs. And uh, so anyways, there's definitely a, a good amount that we change on it. But we really keep, you know, we really keep the foundation of the bikes and don't get too crazy on changing the foundation of the motor of the frame itself and, and really focus on, on the parts that, that control all those things. Have you ever thought or are considering to ever just build your own bike from the ground up? Um, you know, I have considered it. Um, I think my biggest challenge has been that uh, I, so, so we've got a house, so I've got like a three car garage. And so I just rattled off all those bikes. There's also a Honda Grom stuffed in there um, in the midst of it. So it's like, I've got all these bikes jammed in there and it's uh I, 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 I hate to like complain cause I'm super grateful for all the stuff, all the bikes I have. I'm super grateful for, for my house, for, for everything I have, but it's also super hard to work on anything but one project at a time. And it really requires me to look ahead and, and focus on, okay, what bike's going to be on the list? How long is it going to be on there? Do I have all the parts lined up? Do I have everything ready to go? Because if I don't, then I've got to figure out how to get this chassis off of the bike lift and make room and get it on blocks or jack stands so that I can work on the next thing that, that urgently needs uh, some focus. So, um, you know, I'm finally kind of getting to the point where we're going to be building a shop um, over the winter and into the spring. Um, but hopefully by next summer, I should have a big, spacious uh new shop to work in i'll be able to have you know at least three or four bike lifts and uh when i'm able to do that i'll really be able to uh you know use my creativity a lot more um i used to do a lot more creative building when i first started because i didn't have shows i didn't have all the the, the media jobs and different stuff that i get to do and so i really missed that piece of in the beginning being able to just have so much time to just sit and mess with a welder and a grinder and plasma cutter and whatever else and just get creative with building the bikes and um unfortunately it's become more work lately but um with the new shop and everything it's going to give me the opportunity to really uh get back into doing some of the more creative stuff that i used to do um because i'll have the the time and space to spread myself out um, and really tackle it and not feel pressured to get through things really quick. That, that sounds very exciting, man. Congratulations for that. I can't. I, yeah. yeah. I, I will make it up there one day and, and check it out and check out the shop and everything else. 
What, what what projects are you currently working on now with the with the stunts? What, where, where can we find you? Are you going to Sturgis or um, what? Are, any events that you know of that we currently can see and visualize? Yeah, um, yeah, we've gotten done. We've done a couple of shows um, in, in a few places around the country. Um, that that at the moment or at the time that we did the shows wasn't uh, affected by the COVID and and all of that stuff. Um, so kind of upcoming. Um, Right now, Shinko is actually, I uh, spoke with them today, and they are actually working on trying, they have a few different, they're sponsoring um, the Flat Track series out at Sturgis, and they're also going to have a, uh, a big rig um, along with some other companies at Black Hills Harley. So um, they're kind of working on trying to pull together some last minute shows and riding demonstrations. Um, we had we had about three different things lined up at Sturgis and kind of between May and a few weeks ago, um, each one of those has, has kind of gotten shut down for whether it was lack of funding or whether it was, uh, uh, you know, the, the show that we were going to do down on Lazelle street. Um, they weren't able to, uh, to, they didn't want to want the liability. The city didn't want the liability of a large gathering down there. So um, it's kind of been a bummer as far as Sturgis, you know, uh, we did the Indian Thrill Show um, last year and that was a ton of fun. And so we were all kind of looking forward, thinking like, okay, you know, here it is, the 80th Sturgis, this one's going to be wild and off the hook and, and hear a lot of the stuff that we've kind of had, had lined out and whatnot, events and demonstrations have, have, have been canceled. Um, I know they're still doing some stuff out at some of the campgrounds. Um, but unfortunately, most of our stuff was going to be um, all centered kind of down being along Lazelle and Main Street and, and in conjunction with the city. And unfortunately, like I say, most of those things, along with uh, Motorcycle Jump and a bunch of other stuff, has all kind of been uh, shelved. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's very um, tough. But yeah, yeah, it is. It's unfortunate. So. Um, unfortunately like I say hopefully hopefully we'll be doing uh hopefully I'll be doing some demonstrations at Sturgis um keep, keep an eye open for uh for the beginning of some of the flat track series or halftime stuff there might be some shows there or at Black Hills Harley um but uh right now kind of that is the last look at that we've kind of got for shows right now um you know luckily like you say we were able to do some this summer but going into the fall it looks like everybody's really sort of uh, shutting down a lot of the the big events or rallies or different stuff that they had had hoped would would finally be in the clear. Um, but social media is always a great place. I mean, I'm always trying to do something wild and crazy. Um, I do live in Montana, so there's a lot of beautiful scenery around here to shoot. Um, so beautiful. social media is always a good place to find me um, on Instagram at at Rob underscore the number one wheel revolution.com. Um, and, uh, as far as, uh, keeping an eye open for future media, um, you know, we just got done doing a big, uh, film project, uh, in conjunction with, uh, icon thousand, um, which is the B twin line of, of icon motorsports. Um, so we just did a whole bunch of really fun shooting with them, uh, cameras, drones, all sorts of stuff. Um, really amazing scenery kind of around Montana and on the edge of Wyoming. Um, that stuff, I believe, will be dropping, I think, September, I want to say September 15th or 16th, right around there. 
um, that stuff will be dropping. So there will be some really cool media that we did for that um, and, and a, a really great video production that they'll be editing and putting together. So it'll be, uh, it'll be top shelf uh, video quality and editing for sure. So kind of doing that. Um, unfortunately, you know, going into the fall, uh, last fall and, and through the winter, we were able to do the uh, international motorcycle shows and do all the indoor shows and a lot of the major cities we traveled from Dallas to Washington DC to Cleveland to Minneapolis and did, did, did indoor do, shows. Did you do the IMS show last year in Vegas? Um, so so not that uh, we didn't do we didn't do that and uh, we didn't do we tried to get into the to the Los Angeles stop, um, but unfortunately for whatever reason they didn't have uh, enough room for us to perform there. Actually, so, sorry, I meant uh, the, I meant the. Um, not the IMS, the AIM Expo in Vegas. Oh, okay. Yep, the AIM Expo. Yeah, nope. And uh, we haven't done the AIM Expo. Um, I haven't done anything there for uh, several years. Um, what we've generally done is we do a lot of times in the fall, we'll do uh, the, the NVP that's put on by uh, Parts Unlimited and Drag Specialties. Um, and we've got a, done a lot of fun performances um, for them. It's always in Madison in the end of August. And uh, it's, it's kind of a, always been a really fun party. Um, a lot of the reps come in from drag, drag specialties and Parts Unlimited. And, and it's just always a really fun time. And so it's really sad sometimes to uh, see some of those events. You know, we can all still connect over, you know, social media and online and all that sort of stuff. But it's, a, it's really a bummer to not go and get to connect with a lot of my sponsors and a lot of the people that, you know, that I've known and, that have supported me and kind of watched me grow from, from the very early days up till now. And, and, uh, so anyways, I hope we get, uh, the chance going into next year to do a lot more personal face-to-face events and, and media exposure and stuff with people and, and get back to that. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's such a fucking wild time, man. I, you know, I remember in January, it's like, we're in the future. It's 2020. And then, you know, from that moment, it just kind of just went down and it, it, it changed everything. It just, just changed the way we do business, the way we talk to people. You go to stores, everybody's wearing masks. It's such an interesting time and nobody knows when this will end. It's, it's I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. It is. It's just, uh, it's been uh, very, uh, very challenging in so many ways. And I think just, you know, not, not really knowing what the clear path out or, or how it's going to end, you know, not seeing a, a, a easy resolution kind of really sort of puts you in a weird place of not even really being able to think and plan for the future, you know, more than just yeah, you have, uh, you have no a couple idea what of to weeks do. or a couple of months of it. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really it, it's 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 wild. I mean, it, it's I I don't know. I I I don't know anything other than I don't know when this will end. How is it affecting everybody over there? How is it changing your lifestyle? And is your town like really crazy about it? Do you know anybody that's been affected by COVID nineteen? Um, yeah, so it definitely is affected. Uh, it's definitely affected you know people around here. Um, I think a big thing for Montana in the summer is, is the tourism industry. And, and um, it's, it's been an interesting thing. You know, there's a lot of places that have been hard hit. And then because we're in Montana and things aren't quite as populated and we don't have so much social interaction, 
um, between lots of people. So there's also kind of this other sort of group of people that are escaping a lot of these bigger cities and coming up here. So basically kind of instead of like Montana overall being affected by it, it's more like we have these real hot spots. You know, everywhere else is, is dead or almost non-existent. And then we have these real hot spots. And generally, the hot spots are, are kind of being fueled and created by um, a lot of people coming from bigger cities and other states to get away from the COVID. But they're also coming and interacting with each other in, um, you know, very close quarters. And it's causing sort of these. So it's kind of like everything will be fine here. And then all of a sudden, it's like things don't kind of slowly climb up. It's kind of like all of a sudden, instantly, there's a surge or a spike in this area. Everything gets kind of shut down, closed down, a bunch of precautions. And then after that, of course, it, it you know, it dissipates fairly quickly and kind of goes away. But um, then, you know, again, it kind of, you know, flares up somewhere else that, that now tourists and people are sort of gathering and, and congregating. So, um, it's kind of made it again a little challenging of not being able to have a, a, a consistent feel for it or a consistent feel for um, you know it affecting our daily lives. It's kind of it's here and it's gone and it's here and it's gone. Um, people in Montana, I would say, I'd say probably more don't take it seriously than take it seriously. Um, you know, again, it's just that there's a lot of rural space. A lot of you know, there's a lot of folks that frankly, you know, see the same two people, three people for an entire month straight. And that's kind of it. You know, they that's see insane. their guy at the gas station, the guy at the post office and their, their neighbor, Frank, and, you know, and that's kind of it. So for them, it's, uh, it's been awesome. real hard to kind of, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's great, but it's also made it hard too, because it's hard for some of them to take it really seriously in their daily lives because they just don't, you know, they just, they just aren't just affected by it and, yeah. and, and they just go about their normal lives like they always have. Um, but, you know, obviously there's plenty of urban centers throughout Montana. And again, those tourist hotspots um, where we get um, a lot of action and, and have to kind of uh, clamp down really quickly to uh, make sure it doesn't uh, get out of control and affect the rest of Montana. Have the people like this, like, like, have the people decided not to like stop tourism? You know, like, for example, there's a in New York, they were saying a few months back, uh, you know, if you go north of um, New York, it's very nice land. It's very, you know, it's away from the city. And there's been people yep. that have houses, they live in New York City, but they have their own houses up in, in those in those suburban cities. And what's been happening is, is when those people go there, the neighborhood blocks them and says, you can't come in here. You know, we, we don't, want, uh, okay. we, we don't okay. want that city. We don't know what you have. We don't know what you're bringing. Don't come in here. And then it turns into this big police have to show up. And it's like, I own the property. That's my property. How can I not, not go there? And it, you know, it, it's, it's insane, but has anything like that happened in Montana? Um, so as of now, it has been, um, you know, if anything, um, you know, People are, you know, they're anxious, you know, uh, once again, a lot of the, the rural areas and, and some of these places really depend on anywhere from three to six months of tourism. You know, it could be a winter, a winter tourist destination. It could be summer tourist destination. It could be a city that 
you know, is on the outskirts of Yellowstone Park and stuff like that. Um, so as much as people have wanted to kind of take stands like that, I think a lot of them haven't because a lot of them, you know, they, they either got hit in the spring and now they're looking at another rough fall and winter ahead. And I think there's a lot of them that have kind of not necessarily looked the other way completely, but have uh, really taken a relaxed stance to it and kind of just trying to maintain financially um, their business or their, their livelihood, whatever it might be. So we haven't seen a lot of that yet. I think, um, you know, it could get interesting in the winter. We've got some, some areas where there's, uh, you know, there's um, a lot of very wealthy, you know, like we've got the Yellowstone club, for instance, and it's, you know, it's literally just, you know, uh, you know, probably I think there's, you know, there's maybe, you know, maybe 50 to 60 cabins, you know, up there, but I guess I shouldn't call them cabins. They're more like mansions and all the people up there, they're all millionaires, billionaires. They're from, you know, Texas oil companies, California tech companies, Seattle tech companies and stuff like that. So there's some of these places that are, are, you know, that if you looked at the residents there would probably 90% of them are not Montana residents and don't live there in some of these really upscale communities. So it'll be interesting to see kind of going into fall and winter, how those places uh, continue to operate and push forward um, with the dynamic of it being comprised of mostly people from out of state, large cities, and and frankly, a lot of places that are hit pretty bad um, so far with with the virus uh, issues. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's all we can do. Sorry to take that the conversation to that. No, but, no, not at all. Not at all. Give me two seconds here. I'm just going to plug this in so this battery doesn't die. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Two seconds. You got it. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get back. Um, I want I, okay. I have a 2020 streak light. I've done a few things, but you got your 2019 streak light. I want to know what you're doing because i might do the same thing so what what break down what you have in mind that you're gonna you're gonna fix up on the street glide yeah so uh so for the the 2020 street glide um or sorry actually it's a 2019 but uh might as well be a 2020 because yeah. it's still got pretty much zero miles on it um so uh basically what i'll start out with is uh internally we are going to uh we're going to leave the cam alone um well, we'll put some adjustable push rods and a couple of little things like that. But uh, the biggest change internally we're going to do is we'll put a 124 on there. Um, that's just going to give us a little bit more power and a little bit more force um, for some of the faster wheelies and uh, some of the, the, the higher RPM or higher speed burnouts and stuff like that. Um, the bike factory with a, a 107 or a 114 um, has plenty of power in first gear to, to have some good times, but, uh, kind of when you get to the second, uh, second gear wheelies, uh, third gear burnouts and stuff like that, um, bumping it up above anything above kind of 120, um, for the displacement really, uh, helps kind of give you that extra punch so you don't run out of throttle. So, um, but internally, that's all we'll do. We're going to put the, we'll put a, uh, a 124 kit in that comes from uh, Zippers Performance. Um, they're really a, a 
small team, but they're really a dedicated group of guys uh, really focused on basically kind of machining um, custom engine parts and sort of uh, really developing some some varying motor kits um, that you can kind of get for just about any bike to uh, either have a real mild manageable power gain or if you're trying to go to the, the drag strip and win some trophies you know they've got some motor kits that will uh, put your put you back in the seat we'll say so um, so that's going to kind of be it internally. The rest, once again, we're going to leave. We want to minimize the heat. We want to keep that. We want to keep really loose tolerances um, and a lot of the moving parts and a lot of that stuff. Um, and we also want it to be easy to repair um, if we should need parts so that we don't have to order in a ton of specialty stuff. We want to be able to get, you know, the majority of it, walk into our, our, our local Harley dealership and, and get what we need. Um, so next outside of that, I would say kind of then, um, would go to, of course, uh, a K and N intake. Um, I generally like the air charger style ones. Um, basically that's the style that puts the cone filter out in front of the motor. Um, the reason I like that is, uh, again, a lot of times we're doing wheelies or, or slow burnouts. We don't have a lot of airflow. And when you have the round filter that sits right next to the jugs, um, it, literally just sucks in the hot air right off of the jugs and, and into the motor. Um, the gains might be minimal with the air charger style and getting it ahead, but sometimes even just a few degrees cooler air going into that motor um, can can make a difference um, Absolutely, yeah. in how it performs. That makes perfect so, sense. Um, so we'll, yeah, so we'll do that. Um, next, we want to get uh, – air or exhaust out of the motor. So we'll, uh, we'll go with a, a Vance and Heinz. Um, it's going to be a, a two into one, a shorty high output pipe. Um, it's a pipe that's currently on my 2004, which is a complete custom pipe. You can't buy it for that. You can buy it for the newer Dynas and, uh, some of their other bikes, but unfortunately for the older touring bikes, um, it's a complete custom pipe. So, um, we're developing this, the shorty two into one for the new bagger. And one of the cool things is, is I think this one's actually going to eventually be available, um, for anybody to purchase. Um, uh, it's basically, it's a high end tight pipe. It's, you know, hugs the bottom of the bags, um, and some stuff like that. So it just makes it that when you're doing the aggressive burnouts and drifting, that you're not dragging your, your, your nice new exhaust all over the asphalt. Um, along with that, I really like the Vance and Heinz exhaust notes. Um, I've heard, I've used lots of other pipes over the years. Um, but for when it comes to performance, when it comes to weight, when it comes to uh, a variety of different looks and styles to choose from, from one company, um, uh, as well as, like I say, the sound, I really feel like Vance and Heinz really, um, covers a lot of the market very well um, with their selection. So, um, like I say, we'll have a custom uh, shorty pipe on there. Likely, I believe it's going to be chrome, I believe. So, what what um, color is your bike? It'll, it'll look, um, so, right now, the bike is just black. It's just just the, the bare bones, basic Harley black. Um, we'll, uh, we'll likely change that. I don't know that it'll be too drastic. You won't, you know, you definitely won't see some you know bright neon flaky paint job with all sorts of detail and 
20 different layers of paint. Um, that's just, it's just not my style. I definitely enjoy looking at those bikes, but, uh, I like to keep it pretty plain, pretty mild. And once again, I also like to keep it so that if I crash or destroy it along the way, um, that it's an easy fix to, uh, to repair. Um, so, um, yeah, getting back to the, the build. Um, so from there, um, what I'll do is, uh, we'll have some, uh, MJK, um, performance parts on there. We'll have, uh, floorboards, we'll have, uh, riser bar set up. Um, as well as brake pedals. And then I do believe we're going to have, um, uh, some, some brakes on there. They were working on redesigning them the last time I spoke to them, uh, about their brake calipers. So we'll see what's available. Um, so we'll have some really trick parts from them. Um, the, the floorboards from that they make and stuff really allows you to kind of move your foot around. It's got, uh, uh, the floorboards have two angles to them, so there's kind of you can put your foot more forward and be in more of a tour touring or cruising position, and then you can kind of pull it back more um, to more of the flatter portion of the board, and that gives you more of a feeling of like mid controls. So it's really nice on that bike because you can ride it normally, put your feet forward, then when I want to do aggressive stunting, I can pull it right back to the middle of the floorboards and have more of a mid control feel. Um, have you ever considered going that, full, full um, so, yeah. have you ever considered going full, uh, mid controls on a bagger? Um, you know, I, I haven't, I, I think for me, a lot of it, um, especially with the bigger bikes, is I, I like to try to keep and tie in as much stuff as I can, um, to give the bike its original feel. And while a performance bagger, when I think about it in my mind, you know, would definitely have mid controls on it, no floorboards and, and whatnot. Um, for me, I feel like it's just not a bagger without some floorboards on it. Um, when you see it in a wheelie and you've got the big floorboards in the air, um, it just, you know, again, it just adds more dimension to the bike and, and, and more visual weight, if you will, to it, um, that, that kind of keeps it, uh, the big touring bike it is. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, managing, uh, managing that 124 kit as well as the intake and the exhaust. Um, we use a Thundermax ECM. Um, basically, it's not a piggyback module. It doesn't reflash um, your stock ECM. You completely pull the stock ECM out of it and put in um, their custom billet uh, made um, ECM. And it's, uh, basically what that does is it just, it gives us full control over the bike. There's really nothing, there's no aspect of it that we can't change. And the only limiting factors of any changes we make is the sensor or the unit that's on the bike. You know, it might be, a you know, it could be some sort of a, it could be a, a speed reading and, you know, if the speed reading, you know, if the, if the pickup only maxes out at 120 miles per hour, well, then that's it. But, um, whatever the equipment is capable of on the bike, the Thunder Max can adjust that piece of equipment or that sensor or take that input and redirect it. Um, and you can really just do about any. So that's been a huge part of, of being able to control the bikes and manipulate them is been working with Thunder Max and their team to uh, not only fine tune uh, maps and tuning for bikes, but also 
Um, they've assisted with building custom firmware um, so that we can control the bikes and once again in ways that they were never intended to be manipulated and that you could uh, never do with another tuner um, because you would hit uh, certain ceilings or floors with adjusting parameters um, to where you wanted to take them. So that really kind of uh, dials in all of the mechanical functions and the operation of the bike um, internally. Um, now, everything we move to from here on out is all um, sort of uh, exterior um, input feedback parts. Um, so, you know, we'll go right to, uh, to the progressive suspension. Um, I'll have, have uh, progressive 990s on the back. Um, it's their top of the line uh, remote uh, reservoir shock. Are you going to go high speed? Are you going to go higher? Are you because right now it's what twelve inches? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I'll go. I'll go. I I like to be a little bit like once again. I kind of like the touring bikes to sit like a touring bike. So um, while while there would be advantages to putting say a twelve, you know, twelve and three quarter to up to fourteen and a half inch shock, I like to try to keep my touring bikes kind of around the twelve to twelve and a half range. Um, it still lets them sit and look like a touring bike, but with the added ground clearance and some of that stuff um, that's important for some of the technical maneuvers we do. Um, up front, we'll put, a, we'll put a progressive suspension cartridge kit. Um, and basically that, once again, is um, if you've ever upgraded, you know, better springs um, and fluid in a front end and you think, wow, that, that feels incredible. Um, once you try one of their front cartridge kits, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, you know, you just, once you feel it, you realize that there's no amount of tuning that you could do with the springs and, and fluid and, and some of that, uh, simple stuff to, to ever get the, the performance characteristics that you get, um, when you use, uh, their cartridge kit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't done the upgrade before. I had the 990s on my um, FXTLS, but I didn't do the front cartridges. A buddy of mine, he did the whole thing front and back, and he says it was a game changer, especially through the canyons and when you're doing anything performance. Yeah, it, it really does. It really controls the, the nose diving and some of that stuff when you're hard braking into turns or just even uh, taking a sharp turn and feeling kind of the G-forces building and that really sort of keeps that bike... Uh, in a, a good position to handle handle your inputs uh, in the handlebars and everything. Have, to, have you uh, ever have you ever willied a, a stock Harley? I mean, like the landing or when your front end comes down, isn't it just terrible for the? Oh shocks? yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, even even like two days ago, uh, I posted up a video and uh, to me wheeling uh, my new completely bone stock um, Harley Roadster twelve hundred. So there's literally not a single modification on the bike completely stock belt um, and all wow everything yep not a single thing changed oh i guess i guess i did put the daymaker headlight on it you know for oh look, that's but, what did um, it of course that's ah, what i did yeah, i knew there was yeah, something that, i'm kidding that was something so um <laughs> but anyways i i went out there's a video of me wheeling it and surfing it and there's also been another video previously of me doing a uh, a big long rolling burnout on it, but uh, you know the stock bikes—they're—they're they're capable in it, and it can be done. Um, it's just—they're just not set up for the wear and tear of it. You know the clutches. You know I could—I could probably hop on just about any stock bike and get it to do a wheelie, 
Um, but to get on a stock bike and repeatedly wheelie it or repeatedly do burnouts on it or repeatedly do that stuff is where you would really start to notice the difference between the performance parts and the OEM parts. Um, the OEM parts, like I say, they're made to perform well, but they just are not made to handle the, uh, repeated abuse. So, yeah. um, that's kind of, again, one of the big benefits of a lot of these aftermarket parts is they can, uh, handle the abuse a lot more and, and take the, the repetitive beating without failing on you. Yeah. That's what I was talking to. Uh, actually I've had this conversation with many of my guests, but it, it's the, the aftermarket, um, you know, existence of today for Harley versus what it was before is, is insane. There's so many wonderful, aftermarket companies helping create our bikes into beasts yeah absolutely yeah no there is there's a lot of great companies like i say i get to work with a lot of them but i definitely uh i watch a lot of them that i don't work with and stuff and uh see a lot of the the fun creative parts that they've come up with or just taking things to uh to the next level um the beyond what was uh, previously considered uh, as good as you could get for something. So it's, it's cool to see, like I say, a lot of the progression and, and fast tracking of parts and development that, that's kind of happened that used to sometimes take many years for companies to finally get something dialed in. And now it's kind of like they're able to release a bike. And generally within a year, you know, you've got a a really good selection of, of aftermarket performance and aesthetics parts to uh, kind of choose from. Yeah. So what what else on the so, street? So uh, yeah, yeah. So back to the street glide. All right. So uh, now we've kind of got some of we got the suspension covered on um, brakes. I've, I've used Galfer brakes um, for a long time. Um, I got into using them because at the time that I started riding, there wasn't, there was a couple of floating rotor options, but there really wasn't a lot out there. Um, Galfer had just started to make some front rotors. Um, they didn't make any rear rotors. So, uh, I've been working with Galfer for a long time and I actually kind of helped them develop. Um, now you see a lot of Harleys using, um, the floating front rotors and you also see, um, a matching rear rotor. And so I was actually sort of the first person to do that. And basically I took their front rotors and custom machined the carriers um, so I could put them on the back wheels. And uh, basically Galfer started getting so many phone calls of people asking and wanting to buy those. And then Galfer was asking me like, hey, how are you doing this? Or, or you know, what, you know, what are you doing to them to make it work? And how is it holding up? And, wow. you know, all that type of stuff. And uh so anyways, that uh, was, you know, kind of a part that, you know, because every back at that point, Galfer was only offering um, solid steel rear wave rotors and no full floating ones. So anyways, I started doing that. And uh, so, you know, here we are now uh, a decade later and Galfer now sells full floating pre-machined uh, rear wave rotors just because I kind of, I liked the look of them and I just, I didn't, I loved the look of the full floating, but they didn't have any and I didn't like the steel, the steel, full steel ones didn't cool down fast enough. And so I was just like, all right, well, there's not a whole lot keeping me from uh, putting these on here. So I continue to do that and that's exactly what I'll do with the new Street Glide. It'll have uh, Galfer um, floating 
uh, wave rotors up front. We'll have a floating wave rotor on the back. Um, I also use their braided lines. Um, you can get them in any color, shape, um, style you want. So uh, I'll also have their their performance brake lines on there. Um, a lot of that stuff I, I notice, especially um, you know when I'm doing shows or doing a lot of um, aggressive rolling burnouts and stuff like that. Um, it, uh, you know, a brake fade used to be a big problem. And I can honestly say since I started using all the Galfer wave rotors and all that stuff, um, that, uh, my brake fade issues, uh, almost became non-existent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, getting on down, we might as well just go right onto the rest of the wheel. Um, uh, I'll have Shinko tires on there. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, most likely use the 777. Um, it's a, Soft, grippy compound, um, excellent for braking, excellent for wet weather conditions. Um, it does wear down a little bit quicker than some of their longer lasting tires. What do you usually um, get? But what do you usually get at, at what 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 mileage do you change it usually? How long do they usually um, last? You? So that's a, that's a question that I honestly could never tell you yeah. the answer to because there hasn't. I mean, in the last ten years, even if it was my cruiser bike. There hasn't been a single bike or a single tire that got removed off of a bike that didn't go through some sort of a long, smoky burnout at some point or get ridden on one wheel for a super long period. And obviously, you know, the burnouts or just even riding a wheelie, you know, and putting all 800 pounds of that bagger on a single tire instead of two tires you know, it does wear them much faster and, and in different ways than, than when they get ridden normally. So do, do you change I, your own I tires? I do. I do. I, yep. I, uh, that was kind of one of the first purchases I started. Once I started doing all the Harley stuff, I started doing a lot more burnouts and a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, the, the $25 that the local motorcycle shop was charging me to change tires started to add up very quickly. And, so my next purchase kind of right when I got my first couple of Harleys was uh, bought a tire machine and, and all that good stuff so I could uh, change them myself. That's fucking awesome. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we'll have Shinko's front and back on there. Um, it'll be a, it'll allow the bike to handle amazing as far as turns and grip and all that sort of stuff. I probably, like I say, won't get the longevity that you would get out of a normal touring tire. They have another, they have a couple other tires. Um, uh, they have a, a seven, a seven, seven, seven though is just going to be kind of my go-to. Um, it's also got a lot of sizes available. So, um, you know, kind of when you're trying to find, uh, an oddball tire for all sorts of bikes, like you said, they usually have one, uh, of that style. Um, Next up, I would say, is kind of my rider input, um, which I consider kind of for me is my seat as well as uh, the grips. Um, a lot of people think that I that you would, you know, I do do a lot of input with my seat, and I will weight the foot pegs at different times um, for different tricks. But I would say more so me controlling the bike, especially on one wheel, is done through the seat and through the grips. Um, so... I've got on most of my bikes, I've got some custom built saddleman seats. Um, as most of the people in the V twin world and motorcycle world know, they, they make some of the best seats out there. Um, hands down. 
Um, you know, just really, really great classy styles, good, good build quality. And, uh, which model do you another go comp- Um, you know, so a lot of them, I run sort of a custom built style seat. Um, it started out originally as my sportster seat and then we carried the styling over to, um, over to my bagger as well as over to the Dyna. Um, and basically it's kind of, it's more of a narrow back high seat, whereas a lot of like the step up that you see that's really popular, those are sort of full width in the back and full height. Um, the reason I don't like that is because I like to have all the pressure that I'm putting on the bike um, centered right in line with my spine and kind of straight up my back. So um, if you look at a lot of my stunt seats, they taper up in the middle and that's basically so that basically all along my tailbone and the lower part of my back, I have full contact in the dead center of my back. Um, when you have the full width, like the step-up seat, they're super nice and comfortable. But when you feel your weight all the way on the back, you kind of feel the pressure on the left and right, kind of where your ass cheeks are, as opposed to having it dead center. Um, and so just for me, for stunt riding, it's all about balance and control. So it's important to really have my, my main contact of my seat um, be in the dead middle of, of my weight dis, uh, distribution. Yeah, get the um, right but support. I'll have a saddleman seat on there. Um, we'll likely use a firmer foam um, than you would in a lot of their, their, their more uh, cush touring seats and stuff like that. But nonetheless, it'll... Uh, It'll be like uh, like all the other saddlemans that you see out there, and uh, have some gripper on the top, and some cool diamond stitching likely somewhere, and and then some customization with my logo um, on the back of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I just I was just there at their at their warehouse here by Long Beach, and I I just found out they do custom logos. They could, you put your own brand on the sides, and they're they're a great company. Yeah, yeah, they really are. And it's been, you know, they've been another company that I've uh, worked with now for, oh, maybe five, six years. And then they've done most of their growth in that last five to six years. So once again, it's been super cool to see the Saddleman team grow and bring technology in and simplify processes. And, you know, a lot of it for them has really been about creating consistency so that every single seat that goes out the door is you know the same quality the same standards and stuff which is you know generally in the past been really hard to do um with a lot of physical manual labor and getting different results depending on who stitched or or stapled your seat up or that type of stuff so um yeah just really cool uh like i say that seat is very important i can't uh, a lot of people see me surfing the bikes um they see me standing on the seat of course they see me sitting backwards um on my roadster i'll stand up on the seat backwards um full length stand up on it going down the road (laughs) and uh and all of that stuff is really, really all just made possible through the seat and through customizing it, uh, both with the foam density as well as the shaping and the gripper um, to, to make a lot of those tricks possible. So, yeah, definitely a good company to work with. Very much so. Um, yeah. Um, next, I, you know, I think probably is, you know, your hands. Your hands are so much about controlling the bike, you know, whether it's the throttle or whether it's just holding on to it. 
Um, so I've started using ODI grips this year. Um, and they, like I say, it's a, it's an incredible difference compared to before I just kind of bought some nice grips that were, you know, cheap and they worked good. Um, but I've really been able to appreciate, uh, some of their waffle patterns and some of their stuff. Um, and you know, you, I might not notice it when I jump on the bike immediately, but especially after riding a bike all day long, um, I really noticed the difference between a good quality grip and, um, a, a nice looking underperforming grip, um, in, in how your hands feel and how, how well you're able to control the bike at the end of the day when you've been pushing it for eight, nine, ten hours. Um, so we'll get some ODI grips up there. Um, this bike will be a fly by wire model. Um, there's obviously fly by wire and there's a, a fly by cable or a throttle by cable. Um, you know, I, I like them both. I probably like the cable a little bit better. It's a little bit more forgiving. Um, and it just, you know, there's something about the feel of a throttle when you pull it and you feel the cable moving through there. Um, throttle by wire has been, been fun. Um, but it's, it's very sensitive. It's very touchy. Um, it does allow some modifications to the throttle mapping for the input, which is, has been important for some of our stunt stuff. Um, but it's also, uh, like I say, has its own challenges. So ODI does, they have, uh, they have throttle by cable models and they also have now, uh, just been developing and, and slowly releasing some of the, uh, throttle by uh, wire um, grips and models. So it's, uh, it makes it really easy to, to, of course, slap some new grips on because now you're not having to deal with cutting your old ones off and trying to shimmy a new grip over a throttle tube and all that type stuff. Now you literally just take out a couple of screws, slide the whole tube and everything off, slide the new one on, got all the teeth to engage with the uh, throttle position sensor on the handlebar and, and you're ready to go question uh talking about the technology that, that exists now on the harleys when you do your stunts you got to disable abs right for the bikes that have abs or you you rock it with the abs um so that's a good question i, I get that a lot um and i actually i i abs has its place um for doing like a stunt show type situation, I would always shut ABS off. Um, don't really want it. I like to be able to lock up the rear tire coming into a drift or coming into an aggressive burnout. Um, and obviously the ABS prevents a lot of that. Um, so I'll generally, generally we've done everything from bypassing the ABS module completely with a, a, a brake line and just running it straight from the uh, master cylinder to the caliper. Um, we've also, um, we've pulled ABS fuses before, which will also disable the ABS. And then lastly, uh, like on the FX DLS, um, we just reach down under the little cover and basically pop the connector loose, uh, where the wiring harness connects to the ABS module. Um, all those ones disable it. Um, and like I say, it does come in handy for stunt show type settings. Um, however, um, we've done some commercial shoots and some video shoots uh, where you did not, where we wanted the ABS to keep working. So, um, for instance, we had to do a rolling burnout through this asphalt that was covered with a ton of gravel. Um, so normally, you know, I would have ABS off. I would go doing a burnout into there. My front tire would get enough 
loose rock under it and eventually my front tire is going to lock up and push push away from me um so i will actually engage the abs in that situation and then i can start a rolling burnout still without a problem but um when my front tire hits that gravel the abs will kick in and it'll keep my front tire rolling through that gravel so that the front tire never locks up completely and we can get the shot so um, there's actually been, like I say, a handful of times where the ABS, um, if I hadn't had it, I don't know if I could have got the shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great piece of technology. I remember when it first came out, like a lot of people, the old school people were against it. They're like, fuck ABS. I break better than ABS, you know, but now it's, I can't even own a bike without it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's kind of, it's funny in a, when you're, you know, on a touring bike, especially it definitely, uh, you, you really notice when it comes into play and when it helps and, and those few times that, that, you know, might've got your heart racing, but the ABS kicked in and just kept things rolling along smoothly. And like I say, and then you get into the, the performance aspect of things and it does become a, a little bit more, uh, uh, negatable whether or not it you know has any purpose anymore but for for new riders and people just out there cruising through varying conditions i definitely say abs has has, has come to help <laughs> yeah no a hundred percent so we got grips now yeah yes yeah, so now we uh, we got some grips done um now let's move up to gauges um gauges are super important for me um I constantly, what, no matter what bike it is, I constantly, while I'm stunting it or pushing the bike through its limits, I'm constantly watching everything from head temperature. Um, I'm watching my oil pressure and uh, a lot of times, too, watching RPMs at different points to, uh, to, to keep things in safe limits but push it right to the edge. Um, so I've, uh, the last probably, again, five, six years, I've been using the Dakota Digital Gauges um, they make these really rad gauges. They started out as just single LED color. Now they've got full multicolor um, LCD screens. Really? Um, but the cool thing really about them, I mean, the, the looks and style of them is awesome. But what's really cool is just the features that you don't get out of a normal gauge. So um, it allows me, like I say, to see my head temperature. Um, obviously, some of the bigger touring bikes and some of that stuff, you can see it. But like sportsters and those bikes you know you have no idea what your head temp is um it also allows me to adjust the speedo reading so um when i go and throw a sprocket on my bike and it throws my speed reading off now with the dakota digital gauge i can go in there i can adjust my speed oh. readout and basically get it dialed back in so that with my new gearing on the bike i can still look down and know exactly how fast i'm going i'm looking them up right now yeah, yeah, like I say, super the the MLX gauges is the newest ones that have come out and these are the full color ones. Um Those the are really neat thing about it is you can customize every single color on that screen. So whether it's just a color you like or a color that's easier for you to see, or if you have a custom bike you've built that has, you know, some particular colors in it. Basically you can take your Dakota digital gauge and you can customize um all the colors. You can customize the different readouts to show information that's important to you, or if it's stuff that doesn't matter to you, you can hide it. Um, so it's just really a, a, a universal format to, to fit a lot of different applications, whether it's cruising and touring, whether it's racing, 
or in my case, stunt riding, and uh, just a lot of really useful features in the gauge that that come in handy that sometimes you don't you wouldn't think about, you know, or you wouldn't expect uh, to be a big benefit, but uh, it is. Um, and it's actually really cool too. You can sync your phone to it, um, make all wow. your color adjustments and stuff through your cell phone. So. Anyways, just really, they make all sorts of gauges for hot rods and old cars and retro mod stuff and whatnot. But uh, once I found them for for gauges, like I say, I was really pumped uh, to be able to watch some of the stuff. And like I say, for me, when I'm pushing those bikes, it's really important to watch the heat, watch the oil pressure um, and that type of stuff, because that's obviously the, the livelihood of the motorcycle at that point when you're beaten on it that heavily yeah of course no very cool very exciting and you could see it clearly in the daylight yep 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 you can uh you can you can do a black background or a white background and basically you can set it to uh stay one or the other or you can set it to automatically invert the colors it actually has a little light diode um sensing diode built into the screen so it will you know there's even been times where i'm riding it and i'll ride into a tunnel and the gauge will, you know, the gauge color will invert so I can see when I'm in the tunnel. And then the second you ride back out into the daylight, it just takes a few seconds and the gauge colors will invert themselves again back to the easy to read um, in the daytime. I'm mode. sold. So I'm sold. Yeah. Like I say, it's just, they're, they're super cool. Uh, I've power washed them. I've taken them and, you know, freezing weather on the ice and, and snow all the way to, like I say, 110 degrees in the desert and sand and obviously power washed them uh, <laughs> more times than I could ever count. And like I say, I mean, they're just really trick gauge. So definitely a good investment for anybody that spends a lot of time behind their handlebars. Awesome. Great recommendation. Yeah. Um, next, let's see here. Where are we? We've got that. We've got performance. Um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely throw, I'll have a, a flare windshield on there. Um, generally I've gotten a lot of those from clockworks, um, in the past, uh, I've had a couple of different styles and sizes on my baggers. Um, they make really good, you know, quality products that, uh, you know, I've stood on my flare windshields. I've, uh, thrown bags on top of them inside the, the moto van and all sorts of stuff. So, um, you know, they make just some really good quality products that, so handle the abuse um and and take a beating they're a great um, shield and they've been around forever yeah yeah and i think that's it too is they've just they've been around for so long and and they really have have been a a pillar of the industry so it's uh, it's always good to, to to incorporate some parts from those guys uh into it um, aside from that, you know, I'll throw an, an elite easy pull clutch on there. They make a Harley version, um, that, that works with the Harley cable. Um, now this bike that I'm going to be setting up, this will be my very first, um, wheelie bike that's going to have a hydraulic clutch on it. So, um, I'm expecting it to be a challenge and there's going to be some adjustments on the leap, likely going to have to make a custom lever for it because Currently, they only make cable model clutch levers, um, but I'll throw one of those on there. Um, I'm not sure quite what to expect from uh, the master cylinder, the stock clutch master cylinder. There could be, depending on, once I get a chance to use it, I may put a uh, aftermarket master cylinder on it to uh, you know, get a little bit more uh, leverage or an easier pull. 
um, at the clutch itself. Um, on down on the other end of that line, though, I will most certainly have a uh, Barnett Scorpion clutch. Um, it's a newer part that I've started putting on the bikes in the last year and a half, and I cannot say enough about them. Um, they gave me one for my 2004 bagger um, a year and a half ago when I started working for them. And I mean, I have beat on that clutch and had it adjusted poorly and abused it and so many things that should have totally fried that clutch by now. Um, but if you're building any kind of performance uh, motorcycle or want to ride aggressively, I, I seriously can't say enough about their clutch setups. They just, they, they take a beating. They always work. Um, if you get the coil spring model, you can really adjust um, the, uh, you can really adjust it and, uh, and, and get some amazing performance characteristics out of it. That's just, that's awesome. That's amazing. So that kind of sums up the clutch um, down into there. Like I say, Barnett Scorpion all day long. We'll throw a clear cover on there. They have some really cool clear covers so that you can see um, the billet clutch hub and, and basket and all that stuff underneath the cover. Uh, one thing that a lot of people ask me about is I do, I, I run automatic transmission fluid in my primary, um, especially when I use the Barnett. Um, I've always used Formula Plus, but uh, Barnett mentioned, hey, you might think about running some ATS in there. And it, what it does is it really helps with a smooth clutch engagement. Um, obviously, um, I'm dropping the hammer all the time, whether it's burnouts, wheelies, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I want my clutch to grab nice and firm, but I also, if it, uh, if it grabs too hard, then it just spins the rear tire and it's hard to get the front wheel in the air. So, um, I started running, uh, automatic transmission fluid and sure enough, it, it does like they said, and it, uh, has made the clutch engagement much smoother. Um, than what I've typically experienced with other primary fluids. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. You should be a consultant for for all the shit you put these <laughs> products through. You know, or or have yeah, a yeah. I, I or do have my a, best to try and like consult and help yeah. people out there. Um, I try to I try to you know I try to do it cautiously too because a lot of times you know there's been so much thought and effort put into like what I've done that sometimes it can be almost too much information to try to explain to somebody for them to get the exact same results. So I generally try to help people where I can and get them pointed in the right direction and whatnot, aside from, uh, you know, building their bike for them via direct messages and over the internet. Yeah, no, because I mean, you're, you're putting these, these products through, through hell and back. You should have your own certification stamp or something, you know, yep, they'll yep. appreciate it. Uh, yeah, um, and they yeah, have one more uh, really great part that'll be on there. Is I'll we'll have uh, I'll have uh, some performance machine wheels, um, and basically uh, those will be uh, I'll run a twenty-one inch up front, and uh, for this bike in particular, we're going to run an eighteen inch on the back. Um, on my current bagger, we've got a uh, we've got go a twenty-one and a sixteen. Um, so it, it'll be about the same. Um, once again, I don't, don't really like to get into much wider of a tire. Um, the wider tires don't handle nearly as well. Um, they'll ride a straight wheelie better than the narrower tires, but when you're trying to wheelie around turns and bends 
or even if it's just at a stunt show and I'm trying to correct and not ride a wheelie over a manhole cover or some big hole in the asphalt, um, the narrower tires will steer in a wheelie much better than the wider tires. So what do you do? So like- generally on most of my bikes, I try to keep it um, as as OEM width as possible and avoid getting big fat tire kits on So there. OEM right now is what, 180? Uh, I believe for that bike, yes, I believe it's 180 on that one. So that's, that's what will likely stay on there is a 180. And uh, like I say, it'll be, a, it'll be a good tire for it. It's about... 180 is about as wide as I like to go. That's also, I believe that's the same width that's on my fat bob. It's a 16 inch rim on the back of there, but I believe it is also to a, a 180 tire. And it's, it's great, but it definitely makes it a lot harder to steer um, with those big wide rubber tires on there. Yeah, no, big, bigger tires usually on motorcycles are not good. It's actually really bad for the swing arm as well. I, I knew this one. Um, yeah, I knew this one person. They had they they did a custom swing arm and they did like a three hundred in the back, and um, you know, unfortunately, their their swing arm snapped. They were on the seventeen around San Jose, like San, going from Santa Cruz to San Jose, and their whole back just snapped, and they they passed away, unfortunately. But um, oh, but, yeah, but wider tires are definitely not. Uh, I mean, they look, yeah, they yeah. look especially interesting. Especially when it's not factory equipped. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially. Yeah, this was like a custom chopper with this super one. Anyways, so then uh, you're going to do the tires. What about swing arm? Um, so swing arm currently, we'll just keep the, the factory swing arm on there. Um, we have uh, we have been in talks with MJK of trying to get our hands on one of their they look so fucking point. nice. I really want one of those too. They look very nice. They, they really are. They're beautiful, and 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 the the performance characteristic of it is incredible. Uh, but it's uh, definitely uh, one of those uh, super spendy parts and super time consuming for uh, for what it takes them to make it. So um, we're hoping that we can kind of find a time when they've got a break and are going to pop them out, and that we can. Uh, get some extra raw materials to them and hopefully do that. And I think, you know, I think, you know, I've covered a lot of the performance parts that are initially going to go on on this bike. It's going to have a lot more stuff on it, um, like this MJK um, swing arm or like an inverted front end. So there will be a lot of stuff that will develop over time. Um, But for right now, um, originally that was kind of the plan is to fully deck it out but since the bike's been stuck in canada i haven't gotten to work on it or ride it you're now suffering. my mission is just to get it back here get it set up as quickly as i can so i can at least start utilizing it and then as time goes on i'll really start to uh develop more custom parts and more really trick stuff for it that's fuck you're suffering i know you are i know you're suffering not having your bike and not being able to do that <laughs> yeah, especially especially when it's at, at this point too. It's also the uh, it's also the most expensive stunt bike, yeah, uh, um, that I've got my hands on. Oh, so it's that's right. Kind of hard when your uh, biggest uh, most expensive stunt bike is sitting collecting dust, and hopefully the battery still got a charge in there. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. <laughs> yeah, Rob- yeah. It's been sitting in Canada since February, so. <laughs> Rob, question. Um, let's get into your uh, your gear, and I want to talk about your helmet. Your helmet's fucking awesome. The what is it? The Icon. What, which model is that? Yeah, yeah, yep. 
So uh, all the helmets I use are all developed by Icon Motorsports. Um, and then sick. they have sort of another sort of offshoot um, that's the Icon Thousand brand. Um, you know, once again, another they, they were one of the very first companies. I think they were technically like the second company to ever sponsor me um, way back in the day when I was kind of just this wild kid with a dream. And, you know, um, and there's, you know, several companies at that time that were willing to take a risk um, and, and sponsor some guy who wanted to start stunt riding Harleys and do all this stuff. Um, so that's been another company that I've really gotten to see them grow and watch them develop product. And it has been amazing to see, um, you know, just the way that they their design, the technology that they've incorporated um, and the graphics and stuff that they've uh, brought into the riding gear over the years has been uh, super cool. Um, constantly working on new shell designs, you know, and a lot of companies will kind of, they'll get locked into a shell design and it's kind of like they don't steer very far from it as they kick out new models as the years go. And, and it's been cool with Icon to see them kind of, you know, basically create helmets that if you asked me 10 years ago to drop some wild ideas, like I never would have imagined that that's the, the route they would have gone um, down. So they have some really awesome. super cool helmets. They've got the, uh, probably I'd say my, my, my longtime favorite is the Airframe Pro. Um, they have a full carbon version, which is super duper light. Um, it has your traditional normal motorcycle visor on it. So super nice to be able to flip it up when you're riding in hot weather or when you just got to talk to somebody or something like that. Um, excellent fit. And, um, and you better believe I've, I've crashed in them a few times and put them to the test. And uh, clearly I'm still here and, and doing just fine. So they're definitely doing their job. Um, they also came out recently with a new Air Flight model as well as a Variant Pro model. Um, the Air Flight is... Uh, it's a very unique looking helmet. It doesn't have a traditional style visor. It's more of a full face visor um, that comes down to your the bottom of your chin. And uh, it's just a really unique looking helmet. But the cool thing about it is it gives you a really wide viewing perspective that I don't see in, in some other helmets. And, uh, and it also uh, has the ability to remove the visor, the traditional motorcycle visor. And then you can put... Um, I guess I should say remove the traditional shield on um, the face shield and you can actually put on a little visor and run goggles with it. So oh, nice. um, it's kind of a really cool thing where you can take this street helmet and go from a really comfortable street helmet and with, you know, a couple of minutes and a couple of little um, accessories, you can turn it into a dirt bike or an off-road helmet that's super comfortable and, and equally is safe. So um the That's new variant cool pro convenient yeah the new variant pro lighter um much more comfortable um a lot of people it has it has again it has the big visor um up above the face shield on it and a lot of people feel like that with that that they're going to have a lot of wind issues um and icons really developed those visors well so that air and wind can pass through them so um you know, like I say, from those features, uh, drop-down shields inside of the helmet so that you can, uh, on some of the models, so that you can have a, you know, you can have a clear visor on the outside for riding at night, and then you can have a tinted drop-down shield 
um, so that you can ride at night. Um, so anyways, just lots of really cool stuff from the icon team. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, about working with them is they really support the core down at the core. They support riders and they support people and they don't always just support, um, you know, I've seen them help a lot of people and support a lot of people over the years that maybe hadn't made a name for themselves. Maybe they were what you would consider a, a nobody, if you will but they really look for dedicated individuals in the motorsports industry and have continued to support people like that. People like myself, um, on the fringe of the motorcycle industry, obviously I'm a stunt rider, you know, I'm not a racer. I'm not doing these big broadcasted televised sort of things, but, uh, they've, they've been a huge instrumental part. And, uh, I can honestly say of all the companies that I've worked with, all the companies that I've done stuff with, both just in my safety as well as supporting um, me um, as a rider. Like I definitely would not be here talking to you right now if it wasn't for the team at Icon and, and their dedication to keeping motorsports alive, keeping motorsports fun and keeping motorsports creative, you know, and not just going down the same path that everybody else does because it's easier because that's what the, the mainstream market is doing. Well, shout out to them, and 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 when I, we appreciate it, the listeners appreciate it. We all appreciate companies like that because we're all one community, and it's you know we need each other's back, and it's good that they have that much belief on new writers or you know new stunt people or people that don't have that brand. So what you just said is is amazing, and and thank you, Icon, for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, and and beyond their helmets, you know. Um, jackets, all that sort of stuff, you know, they've really got a great diverse collection of, you know, whether it's light duty, vented gear, all the way to your heavy duty, um, wet conditions, fall, winter type riding, you know, they really have a, a good variety, um, that they cycle through as time goes. And I think, you know, it's, you know, once again, they, they're constantly developing new stuff and they're constantly, you know, they're, they're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to try something new that nobody's done or try a material that's never been done and not have it work out. But they, they always pay attention to it. They always pay attention and learn from it and are constantly trying to uh, make their jackets, their gloves, their riding pants, their footwear, um, and even their casual wear um, that much better um, than it was before. So where, where like are they at? Super. Um, so they're actually out of Portland, Oregon. Portland, and, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, look at the branding and they look at everything that Icon does and they think it's this big, huge team with all this, you know, money to blow and all this type of stuff. And it's really, it's a, it's a quaint, tight knit group of people. Um, you know, most of them all are dedicated motorcycle riders or they're passionate about it in one way or another. Um, and they really buckle down and work together as efficiently as you could possibly be and, and, um, turn out awesome products, rad designs and, and sort of, uh, sort of cool new ideas that, that you would expect from a much bigger firm or a much bigger group of individuals. So it's really cool when you get to meet the icon team, um, to, to see, how small and humble they are and, and the cool results that they are able to make. 
I, I might reach out to them. I, I love listening to those uh, talking to people in the motorcycle industry and, and the entrepreneurship of the industry, you know, because it's, it's, it's yeah, a, it's yeah. An awesome. And, and, and yeah, and Icon does. They have a real cool story. Um, the guy who started it, Kurt, he just, you know, he, he, you know, came from a military background and loved motorcycles and lots of stuff, but he just did not, you know, once he got out of service and stuff like that. And even during his service, he just, you know, he could tell you in a lot better words, but he just was not impressed with the gear out there and the gear out there didn't excite him. It didn't seem like it fit the younger, you know, edgier riders and, and people that wanted to look really good and also have gear that performed really well. And I think, you know, Kurt's really taken a, a dream of his for a long time and really developed it into a, uh, an incredible brand. And, and it continues to resonate out through the rest of the team that he's brought on board over the years. Yeah, that, that's amazing. That's really cool to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you earlier, um, can, can you tell me uh, real quick about your team? Who, who is your team? How yeah, many people yeah, working so- with you? Yeah, so uh, so my team kind of uh, been it's been uh, obviously going for a good decade now as far as shows and stuff. Um, it's evolved over the years. Um, um, you know, obviously stunt riding is again it's a fringe activity. Um, you can you can make money doing it, but you got to be very creative. You got to be very hardworking and very um, self driven and motivated. And, um, so, and it, it, it involves a ton of time, um, you know, when the spotlight's not on you to, to dedicate to it. So, um, the team has evolved over the years. I've had, I've had several different guys that have came and rode, rode with me for a number of time. And generally, you know, it's either, you know, family, uh, family stuff that they need to be home more. Obviously when we're doing shows and doing all this stuff, we're traveling all the time during a regular summer season. Um, I would be lucky to be home one weekend out of a month. Um, so, That's tough. uh, it, it, it takes its toll on people, um, and their families and stuff like that to, to be heavily involved in it. Um, so I've had, I had a guy from Florida that, that him and I sort of started in the beginning and, and we rode for a couple of years. And then I had another gentleman out of Spokane, Washington that rode with me for another few years. Um, and then for, um, for about the last, uh, three to four years, I've got a guy named Joe Beavers out of, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he's been doing, uh, he primarily does all the shows and does all of that stuff with me. Um, when I do the stunt shows, um, that are branded under one wheel. Um, so, but a lot of times, um, I do, I do ride with other teams and stuff like that. Um, I mentioned the IMS, the indoor stunt shows we did all winter, um, for the progressive international motorcycle tour. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I rode with, uh, another guy, Kyle Slager, who's a, an incredible sport bike rider. And another gentleman, uh, Bill Ramsell, who rode, uh, he rides a 390 KTM. Um, so um, I'm constantly riding with different people, and and you know a lot of it just depends on the situation. Um, you know, last year I did the Indian Thrill Show during Sturgis with Tony Carbajal. Um, he's another you know really talented rider. And so, anyways, I I kind of for one wheel, I Joe and I are kind of the dedicated riders, but. Um, 
for all the other projects and all the stuff I do, I really try to mix it up and align myself with uh, like-minded individuals that, that are, are serious about stunt riding and putting on great shows and great entertainment and stuff like that. So kind of, kind of bounces me all over the place and I get to work with a a diverse group of people. Um, And then there's, and then obviously that's the writing part of it, but there's also the, uh, the support side of it. I've got several people, um, uh, my, my wife, Mariah, uh, my friend, Jen Proceus, um, got my buddy, Brandon Dawkins, um, and uh, another buddy, Alex Burr. And they kind of uh, really helped me run cameras, um, helped me do road control, you know, or, or lookout points on radios to make sure that we can safely pull off what we need to. Um, and, and, uh, like I say, running the, the snap cameras, uh, Brandon's, uh, really good at, he, uh, pilots the bike that we film off of. So we actually strap a camera person backwards on the motorcycle, wow. um, with him so that we can get uh, a lot of the cool shots we do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, so anyways, it's a, it's a diverse collection of people. Um, it does slowly change over the years and as time goes, um, and as people's lives get, get busy or, or not. And, uh, but either way, we always have, uh, have a real fun bunch of, uh, individuals that, uh, participate, whether it's in the shows themselves or whether it's, uh, doing, uh, some of the side work and some of the media work. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It sounds like you you're, you're wrapped around very good people. Um, and then we're, we're, we just yeah, we, yeah. we just hit two hours. Uh, do you want to give any advice to uh, any new writers or any new stunt guys? Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, new new stunt writers. Once again, I mean, I think my biggest thing is is start small, start humble. Um, there's you know, there's a lot of people that will uh, you know laugh or or shame you for starting out on a little tiny bike or learning on a pit bike or a Grom. But, um, it also, uh, a lot of the best, you know, people that are, are riding out there, um, they all started, you know, on much smaller bikes and, and kind of worked their way up. Um, so, um, you know, that's, uh, I'd just say, you know, my biggest thing is, is probably, whether it's a small bike or a big bike, my big thing is, is protect yourself and protect your bike. Um, you know, I, I wish I would have learned a long time ago. I had a couple of really bad crashes in the beginning and it was all because I didn't understand how important the gear was. Um, so whether it's you're too hot or you want to look cool or whatever it might be, Um, there's really no good excuse for getting into stunt riding or getting into riding when you're newer and not taking the proper precautions. Um, you know, I, I, I sat out, uh, there was a couple of months where I couldn't ride because I had road rash so bad. Um, there's been times where I've had, you know, huge medical bills. And obviously this was all in the very beginning before I got into riding professionally. But, uh, had I just, uh, worn the right gear in the beginning and done some of that stuff that uh, would have made learning much smoother. But uh, yeah, I think just gear up, gear yourself up. If there's crash protection for your bike, get it for your bike. It will save you a lot of money down the road um, when you're trying to learn all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that's for people, you know, that just want to learn to stunt in general. 
but uh, you know, for people that want to get into it professionally, like I do, that's definitely another level and another step there. And at that point, um, you know, once you have your skills down, your basic skills down, you've got a good bike and, and you can keep it looking nice. You know, at that point, it's really when you want to get into it professionally, it could be stunt shows, it could be doing commercials, it could be making media, um, photo shoots, that type of stuff. It's really about figuring out what, what do the companies need? What do they want? Because, you know, a lot of times I, I know what I would like to go shoot or what I would like to go do. And sometimes I still for fun, but it's really, um, you know, you really got to think from a business point of mind and how can I marry this thing that I love doing and that is so entertaining for me and how can I make this into something that they can package and sell? And, you know, that's really what it's about, you know, to, to go from just being a average lauder stunt rider to being a professional stunt rider is really figuring out how to package your talent, package your passion and put it into a form that they can use and that can make their 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 business life a little bit easier and a little bit more profitable wow well that's fucking amazing advice and and we all appreciate that um i want to thank you for your time um it took us a second to get this going but we did it and um i want to say thank you for your time your sponsorships your, your who you are and your stunts and hopefully next time i see you you're gonna have you're gonna start working on that new um the new shop starting this fall right and it'll be open maybe next yep. year yeah, yeah, we'll be depending on how soon winter rolls in up here in Montana. You know, it kind of can uh, put construction at a halt. But if we have a real mild winter, then hopefully by uh, early spring I'll be in there. And if not, uh, if we have a harsh winter, then by uh, early summer I should be in in the new location and able to build a, a lot more bikes and uh, create a lot more cool media. Um, I've been wanting to work on some more a lot of the stuff that we covered um on here today you know i've been wanting to kind of package some of that stuff into youtube videos and stuff like that um for people to reference so that they don't have to try and uh, you know ask Memorize. me 101 questions to yeah. find out all the answers that they want so hopefully uh, once the new shop's done like i say lots of new builds and and also lots of uh, more informational instructional media that will help people um, pick up stunt riding, whether they just want to do it for fun or whether they want to try to uh, make a career out of it as I have. Well, that's awesome. So perfect. So now we have you promising in the future YouTube videos and a new shop coming soon, right? Yeah, yeah, you bet, you uh, bet. And gonna, a lot more action. <laughs> and a lot more action. We're going to hold you to it. Rob, thank you so much. All right, all right. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on here and uh, everybody out there ride safe and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you, man. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you everybody for listening to the Ride Boundless podcast. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. More importantly, share, 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 share. If you know anybody that's in the motorcycle or car industry or is a fanatic or whatever the case is, let them know about this podcast. Sharing is caring. Um, if you've already subscribed, thank you. If you haven't, make sure to do it. Until next week, ride safe, ride hard, ride boundless.